Thomas Corwell Commercial Capital. Hey, look at that. The levels look great. And the audio, hang on, let me double check. And we're going to get rolling into the interview here, part two, because part of the reinvention here of the crude life, like many companies are going through a reinvention process, we had to get some different equipment so that we can become a little bit more mobile, a little bit more nimble. I mean, we already have been nimble. We've been working remotely for 15 years, almost 20 years, really, when you consider just the sales side of things and the intranet that was created in a former life. But part of the reinvention process that's going on for a lot of companies right now is a little trial and error at times. And so, uh, Luke Daniels, thanks for rejoining the program here as we kind of uh, have to eat a little crow here at The Crude Life. Welcome you back to talk about some, uh, basically some big mergers and acquisitions and buyouts and just the whole industry is changing and layoffs, shakeups and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we talked not even a week ago and it just seems like the world's changed again. So how are you doing today? Good, good. Thank you for having me back. Well, yeah, I appreciate it. Again, I apologize for the audio problems that we had. Now, the interview is available for those people who want to go ahead and take a listen. It is it is legible or audio uh, audible, but uh, there is a little bit of an echo in there. It sounds like a tin can. So uh, we wanted to make sure that we redid the uh, interview portion of it because, quite honestly, the news that we talked about is pretty relevant still. And Let's just kind of layer in some of the other stuff that's happened. When we talked before, we talked about the Chinese market. We talked about some of the big buyouts that are happening. And since we spoke, you know, Chevron has purchased uh, Noble. We've got another company. I I forget. Is it's an acronym that NGL NGR? uh, NGR. Thank you. Bought uh, uh, Direct Energy. These are big deals. And not only is it a big deal, but you got Chevron laying off 80% of Noble's employees. Now, normally, that would happen over like a two-, three-year period as kind of a phase-out. So when I look at these deals from every which way but loose, it just seems like the globalization is really on a very rapid course. to Because, you know, we say it's already here, but, man, it just seems like it's really kind of just – the, the the web is 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 kind of weaving itself, I guess. Um, I don't know. T- take over. Talk to me about these big deals. Talk to me about the globalization and what's going on. Well, yeah. So the thing about these big deals is it's all about creating um, increased uh, increased value for your company. So with the the big acquisition here, I mean, you saw it with um, Oxy and Anadarko and um, mergers there because. Now that that layoff happened over time, but as these deals happen more frequently, which they will, especially with the oil economy where it is and just the global economy where it's going, um, Chevron is going to take over Noble and lay off everybody at once because it doesn't make sense to keep them on. They have their own business model that they follow. They're not going to venture from that, and the assets aren't really there to necessarily. Um, now, they won't tell you this, but they're not necessarily there to produce and um, continued production because what it does is it just adds value to the company. When you add value to the company, you increase the stock. And since they're doing a, a stock buy, it really doesn't um, matter which way they go with this because no matter how they look at it, they're going to increase their stock value. That's where we are now. It's all about the value of the stock and where they're going to go for that. And it's... Um, 
and it and it's like you said, the globalization of of the market. Um, we're getting a lot of uh, we're getting a lot of foreign um, foreign buyouts inside the U.S. Particularly with I think we covered this last week, but we're getting a lot of uh, buyout of of the land itself in West Texas, particularly in the energy department, all the way from upstream, midstream to downstream, we're losing our grip on our own production here in the United States. Um, well, this is what's so bizarre to me. Sorry to interrupt, but I, no, I no, just, go ahead. yeah, I, to me, this is coming so fast and the, the rules of the game have changed so quickly and they, they might have changed with Nixon. They might have changed with NAFTA. They might have changed with Reagan. That's fine. But they're being implemented at such a rapid pace at such a unique time that it really seems like the private equity and the alternative financing is really the only avenues people can go now for any sort of real growth because the marketplace is very very controlled right now from the from the government standpoint. Go, try and start a new restaurant. Good luck. You know, go try to start this new service and this new service. There, there's a, it's very difficult right now to find an opening of opportunity in the marketplace. But there are they, they are there. They are there. And it seems like yeah. it's almost like a, on a global scale because the thing that I'm noticing is with these foreign companies is the real estate and the buildings are going with with, with the sales and the mergers and the acquisitions and, and et cetera. It seems like they're getting real property now as opposed to just, you know, a company and that sort of thing. Does that make sense? Exactly. So that's 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 what creates such a problematic uh, situation. Whenever you've got foreign um, companies buying up everything here in the United States and then they start to control them methods of distribution and you're right outside of oil and gas that's distribution of any sort whether it be like you said in the restaurant retail business well, retail has been based well has has been based of a lot of its retail in china because that's where it's manufactured since since you're right nixon opened up that stream whether it was right or wrong that's debatable but you know when we look at today's business model the only which we covered this also is we have to have exponential growth no matter where you're at. And when you talk about lending from government SBAs, or you talk about uh, private equity groups, it, this becomes really problematic. And nobody's, like you said, nobody's gonna open up a retail, nobody's gonna get funding for a retail store right now, nobody's gonna get funding for a, um, a, a, a new restaurant that they're trying to open up, or even a franchise restaurant, because look at, look at everything that's going on in the world now, we could blame it all on COVID, and we could say, you know, everything will change. Well, that's right. But where do we end up on the other side of all this? What's the new business model look like? We're already looking at exponential growth models is the only way to survive. But look at Noble. Look, just take for example the Chevron Noble um, acquisition. Chevron's acquiring Noble because Noble tried to grow to a certain point, and then they said, well, we were going to plateau. Let's sell and and move out. I mean, that's simplifying the, the, what happened, but in, a, in other words, that's where everybody's going. That's the goal of every company. Um, the, the, the total economy and what's actually a lot of what's happening here too is the culture and business are getting intertwined. And it's not just uh, a local culture, it's a, it's a global culture, right? So we have um, 
somebody that uh, started talking at 14 years old over in the UK, talking about how uh, we need to have a complete stop on all carbon emissions, and that affected the entire energy department. Now, I mean, I'm not going to get into the politics of it or whether she's right or wrong or whatever the case or arguments, but what's interesting is that it took over the discussion within the entire business. And now you have Chevron putting out um, advertisements about how a new green energy they're developing within um, microorganisms that'll grow within um, saltwater, things like that. So the entire global business structure has changed. And companies like Chevron that are acquiring Noble are taking over them. It's almost like a monopoly. And it, all you have to do as a monopoly is just take over everything. And that, and then it doesn't even matter what you're producing because you have complete control over the distribution that, that goes from up to midstream to downstream. So we have to move into how do you compete with that? How, how does a small up-and-coming company, whether it be um, a new oil and gas, a new pipeline, or a new LNG facility, how, how do I go have a, have a good idea, know how, to make, how, know how to make money at $20 barrel oil? How do I go and buy this lease and then send it down, down the pipeline and make money on it? How can I even acquire it if I'm trying to compete with somebody like Chevron who's buying up everything at, with, with stock buyouts at pennies on the dollar? You have to find an alternative source. The bank's not going to loan to you because there's no way they're going to touch oil and gas because all they care about is is government-backed loans. The government SBA is not going to touch you because they are too concerned about you know the COVID nineteen trying to keep the, to keep the economy going here in the United States. So you talk about foreign investment or PE firms. Well, the foreign investment, which is going going to be a PE firm or, or local PE firms here in the United States, they care about one thing. They care about what is oil going for today and what's it going to go for tomorrow. If you're at 60 and you drop down to 50 tomorrow, they hold, we, and we talked about this again last week, but they hold all the cars. They hold the, the purse to the company. When you hold all the funds that the company's going to need in order to do anything, you don't have, you, you have a ball to say. Well, is that is that is that PE firm? Does it have a team of petroleum engineers uh, and CEOs that have, have been in the oil industry before? No, they, they they have a very niche market on how to move funds around with commodities, but they don't understand how the wellhead works, how pipeline contracts um, affect what you're doing, and how royalty rights are need to be paid, and and how to distribute your you know from the wellhead out to uh, refining facilities, they all they see is a drop $10, and then they automatically look at their company and see that it goes into the red. Once it goes into the red, they say we're going to stop all operations until we until until oil comes back up because we're bleeding here. And you can come to them, and you you can say these things such as, "Well, I I, I make money at $20 barrel oil. My opex, my operating expense on each well is $15 per barrel. We're we can go all the way down to 20 before we really start to hurt too bad. It doesn't matter. They, they have too many other equity investments that they don't have time to put a whole team towards your project. So a PE firm 
hasn't really made money for anybody except itself in a very long time. Its whole model nowadays is just to invest, increase the uh, value of the asset sell. That's it. It, it, it. it moves quickly. It moves very fast. They try to do exactly this noble deal, except even faster. And that's why you're seeing Chevron take over, lay everybody off. And now they're going to look for the next acquisition. Um, I think it's so, going to be interesting, just the, the, the culture shock that you're talking about, because the culture shock, there's a monetary value to that. And it, it's an exponential over time monetary value when you change culture within an organization. You know, you talked about some of, some of the European companies. Um, we haven't even touched on the Chinese companies, which the Chinese companies have been fracking in Texas and North Dakota, to my knowledge, for at least 10 years that I know about, possibly longer. And people would argue with me about that. They would say I was wrong and I was crazy. And it was a very knee-jerk reaction. And then I started talking to about them about the French companies down in Lake Charles that are you know building petrochemical plants because... Uh, natural gas is so cheap here in the United States versus over in Europe where it's like 18 bucks because of these environmental concerns and, and regulations and things you're talking about from the, some of these European companies. China's different. There's a very interesting interview with the leader of China. He's a president, a prime minister. I forget what their, what their um, top leadership position is over in China. And I do apologize because it should be something I should know, but whoever their president is. Uh, someone was interviewing them about the United States, and they were making fun of basically laughing at the United States, the citizens, for having, having Christian values, for having a sense of religion, having kind of a core of ethics. And they were basically talking about in China, they don't have that, and that's why they're becoming so successful. That's the culture that I think is going to be extremely interesting because, you know, there is some, there is still some ethical values in the United States percolating around. And, you know, people can talk about the erosion and the politics, et cetera. But the culture clash, that's a very real thing. And, you know, I just laid out three, four examples and, you know, uh, repeating a couple that you gave out. But talk to me a little bit about that monetary value behind. The, the culture that goes into communities and building industries and et cetera, because I do think that's going to be a little bit of a, uh, of a uh, grow, let's call it a growing pain, if you will. Right. So the China issue comes, goes back actually even further. So one thing that as soon as Nixon particularly opened up China to trade with the United States and all of that kind of broke free, say the dam broke, if you will, but, what happened was China started making money off of American goods, American, you know, and they make the American dollar. Well, that a Chinese company in China would have to, if they wanted to transfer those funds into yen or whatever the, uh, or yeah, to transfer it over to their currency, they would have to, they would have to spend money to do so. Well, instead of doing that, what they said is, well, let's just, keep the money in America, invest in some American company, and then we'll just make money that way. So they would use American-made money to make more dollars, more, more American dollars. And at first, nobody, it wasn't that big a deal, right? Because you're talking a few million dollars here and there. 
which is in, in the grand scheme of trillions of dollars is not of the American economy is not that much. And so it was a slow build over time to where all of a sudden now in the right in the past decade, um, we have seen this different takeover of American companies. So you don't have a Chinese named company out here fracking, right? You don't have Mandarin written on the side of a frack pump. But what you have is you have a lot of say so and a lot of the executive branch coming from um, from China over there and, and having the say so of what's happening here in the United States. That includes land buyouts, that's buildings. That's not just oil and gas industry. That's uh, several industries across the United States. And it all started with this idea of keeping their American currency here in America to make its own money. Now, there's two ways to look at it, right? There's two ways you can say, well, it's, re, it's, it's reinvesting into the American economy. Yes, but at what point in time is it considered more of a takeover? What point in time does a company sold enough of its stock or its interest or equity to where an executive over in China makes the decisions of what to do. And when you talk about culture, the Chinese culture is very different than the American culture. The Chinese culture is so different that they have all, they have, they have full control. Their government has full control over all distribution of, of information. That means no news companies. So like that Fox, CNN, MSNBC, plus every political podcast you can think of, here in the United States, none of them stream to China. They monitor their system so well that the only, only propaganda that's allowed in China is government-approved propaganda. And that is where the culture is different. So if China just says, well, we're gonna we're gonna do such and such and 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 spend them, you know, we're gonna buy up, let's just say, we're gonna buy Halliburton, you know. Well, the, go- the government then issues that order to some private company and the private company creates the funds in order to get it. You know, this is a simplification of it, but then what happens is the government then can back that company. And what do they do? They just, they, they give people less bread in their, in their, in, in the, with throughout the, throughout the entire state. That's how it works there. And you can do this with the flick of a pen. Here in the United States, we have we have a, a, a culture that is it's more everything's slower, and that's good for you know decision making because you don't want to make decisions on the spot, right? That's why you have three branches of Congress, and they all you know go at each other so that basically nothing gets done. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. But when you have a, a government like China and a culture like China, then they can willy-nilly do as they please. And that really affects the American capability of expansion. And that goes back to what I'm saying is we shouldn't rely on the banks and SBAs and government-backed money in order to get anything done. Especially, I know it's hard as a small business because you're you're looking for that SBA loan that gives you this low interest rate. But Talk to anybody that's ever gone through the SBA just to get get time and, and how long it takes just to get some kind of funding. It's it's insane, especially with what's going on. But even if you take COVID out of it, it's it's very different than you know than it is done anywhere else in the world. 
And so you have to start looking for alternative methods in order to actually fund your company, actually get things done in order to actually start competing on any kind of level. All right. I, I don't know the ins and outs of the Yum brand, but Yum Yum brands, they own like KFC and Pizza Hut and Taco Bell and et cetera. I think that would be an actual example of what you're talking about to where you've got, you know, the, the country of China essentially reinvesting American investments under the guise of an American company. But at the end of the day, it is a Chinese company. That's, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, so whenever you have a, you confront somebody and put their headquarters here in the United States, but then a conglomerate owns, say, the Yum Yum brand plus Company Z plus Company B, all of its decision makings are headed by a CEO that in answers to a conglomerate that's over in uh, China. Right. And, and, and you've got layers in between and you might have some other companies and things like that. But at the end of the day, you know, like I, I from, from my understanding, Yum Yum at the end of the day goes to China. And if, and if that's not the case, I do apologize. But I do uh, just for the example, um, I think that's probably pretty easy for people to recognize because most people know about KFC and Pizza Hut and, and that sort of thing. Oil and gas companies, you get a little bit complex just because of the midstream and everything involved with uh, upstream, downstream, salmon stream, you know, all those different streams. So it it's, it's interesting what's going on, though, when you look at the international investments, when you look at really who the American government is taking care of. And uh, it was very telling when they decided to give trillions of dollars to the bank and let the banks choose who the banks decided they wanted to stay in business and who the banks decided didn't want to stay in business. And that's not a political statement. That's, that's honest to God truth. The banks were able to prioritize who they felt. In, in North Dakota, it's funny, one of the, one of the quickest companies that got uh, PPP financing was a uh, contactless touchless farming company that's on its second or third round of financing. So here you've got someone who wasn't impacted at all by COVID. They've got a bunch of private investors and they were, you know, they got two, $3 million in financing from the banks and from the government. You can't compete with that. That is so hard to compete with when they don't even have to go to their investors and, and that sort of thing. So talk to me a little bit about what you guys can offer that can even come close to, you know, giving people alternatives that can't compete with, you know, the, the, the preferred banks and the, the easy access with politicians. And again, I'm not being political. I'm just citing observations after the last five months of what I saw with my own eyes. So, uh, right. yeah, I mean, again, I, again, I'm not trying to be political, but at the same time, it, I, all I'm basically doing is reporting what happened. And so, um, the reality is, though, that there are a lot of people out there that need financing. There are companies out there that need to find out what alternatives exist so at least they can get their mind going in that direction because the reality is international companies are coming into America at probably a record speed, in my opinion, um, at least that, that I've never seen like this in, in my lifetime. How about you? No, you're right. I've never seen anything like this. In fact, I, I would 
I think I think it would be hard to find anybody alive today at, at this speed. At this speed, anyway. Yeah. So, uh, talk to me about you know just some some options for people that you know um, exist either through your company or just whether you know you, what, what you might know about out there. I can tell you from what we've done is we've we've created a, a situation where anybody with a business or expansion idea or something that they have going on can come to us and we. We find them the funding needed, and we do it in a different way than, say, a private equity group that wants equity in the company and then to control top down. We created it so it's a business loan model that works for any industry, particularly with because I am a petroleum engineer, I, I particularly love oil and gas. So we structured a lot of loans with a lot of investors in order to cater towards that. And one in particular one that we have available right now is one that's a LIBOR over two rate. Um, and and that, that one's really advantageous. There's zero equity take in the company. There is a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of give on, on payment plans in terms of interest rates only. We have created this funding capability in terms in a, in the availability of a loan in order to keep the company in the creator's hands. So not only with upstream, but with midstream all the way to downstream. Um, you know, when you talk about um, like a commercial real estate where you're going to build a, a new um, facility to, to, to cater towards the natural gas, maybe you're creating energy, maybe you're, going to LNG, whatever the case, everything, every business model is different. Every revenue model is different and not every loan should be catered to one loan must fit all. It should be that one, one loan should be fit to a one business model type of, uh, type of, type of, type of deal. So that's what we created with, with, that's what we created with Corwell commercial capital is every discussion we have starts with, What's your what's your model? What's your plan? What's your what's your next revenue? Because banks don't care. When you talk about a bank, when you talk about private equity funds, well, private equity funds want equity, but when you talk about a loan from any traditional institution, they're gonna tell you, well, what's your current revenue model? You say, Well, it's such and such. Well, we can't give you any loans because you can't afford it. And then you come and say, Well, yes, but if I build such and such and create this facility, I get contract X. And then contract X brings revenue B and then the bank's like, yeah, but that you don't have that today. So, you know, farewell. Well, our first question is what's your future plans? What's where's the breakdown of funds and how are you going to get to, you know, how are you going to get to revenue B? Okay. That makes sense. This loan, this loan, that's a two year loan. It's an interest only loan makes the most sense for you. Or maybe your revenue won't, won't come for another five years. All right, well, let's talk about a five year five-year loan and what kind of revenue or what kind of payment plan works best for you. This is, and that's, that's where, that's why we created this to, in order to give more to the small to mid-sized companies. Because when you start considering the fact that the government's considering LA Lakers, the same size as myself and Corwell commercial capital, which nobody's heard of, but, or most people haven't heard of, but everybody knows who the Lakers are. You know, the government has its, has its pick on who it's wanting to succeed. So it's 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 tough for small to mid-sized companies, and we 
went through private funding methods in order to make it not not so difficult, at least on the funding front. So leave the operations in the operator's hands. Yeah, you really hit on my nerve with that because I I'm I try to do a PSA public service announcement, planet service announcement as much as possible that the the government looks at your business and my business, the same as a Subway franchise and the same as the Los Angeles Lakers. We are small businesses. And that's a change because franchise used to have its own little category because they were able to leverage bulk buying and distribution rates and that sort of thing to compete on a whole different level than a small business. And that's why franchise fees and things like that occurred. So the fact that the government is just bypassing that. And the second thing that blows my mind is how the government decided to allow the banks to do their bidding for them. And I say bidding because I do believe the banks that gave the Lakers money, that gave the money to the guy that went out and bought a new Lamborghini, that went out and gave money to the guy that went and spent $2 million in Vegas, I think the banks need to be held accountable on this because the banks were entrusted with the responsibility to give money to those in need, those businesses who were impacted by COVID shutdown. So whatever bank gave that guy millions and millions of dollars so he could go buy a new Ferrari, that bank should be held accountable. That's how I look at it. I'm not sure the politicians or leadership will, will, will do that because they're too busy already looking at a next package of a trillion dollars to give the banks more power to give to who they want again. I don't know. If you don't want to go down that path, you don't have to go down that path. But I am going forward on that public service announcement that the banks were given a big responsibility here, and the responsibility was to help those businesses in need. I know many sole proprietors and small businesses that have not received a dime yet, and they're already talking about forgiving the Lakers and giving them more money. That's crazy to me. So, um, hey, there you go, man. You got me up on my soapbox today, buddy. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a, it, I can see why. It's, a, it, it's, it's, it's extremely problematic when the government starts getting involved in all this. I mean, it's uh, the government's there to, to, you know, help with situations on the individual level, but not necessarily on the um, company level. No, that, no, that's, the, that's where it's screwed up. Well, the government's role, remember, is to consolidate power. That's the role at the end of the day. I mean, the, the Latin, the Latin word for government is to control the mind. So, uh, really, the government's to keep us busy from killing each other and raping each other and murdering and stealing <laughs> and you know that's really what the government's sole purpose kind of is. And however they keep us busy and controlled, well, that's up to you know us collectively as this group and. Unfortunately for humans, when we get to be mobs, it's not pretty. It's just not pretty. And uh, we're seeing that right now in, in humanity in its weirdest forms because you've got such extremes going on where, man, you can't even tie your shoelace anymore without somebody accusing you of having a political bent. You know, it's like, I'm just tying my shoe here. I'm not. Every, everything's political. Everything, ha- I mean, 
just typing on a keyboard has to be political in some form or fashion. Totally. It's like, oh, you started with a capital letter. You love Trump. What? I know. <laughs> Trump it's, it's, uses all caps. You know, it's and like, you can't even, And you can't even go to sports anymore to, to get away from it because it's all over everything. And, and honestly, you can't wearing a face mask, too. Um, they, yeah. they, they've shamed people into wearing face masks or not wearing face masks. And it's, it's getting, it's getting pretty crazy. So, um, that, that's why I'm glad you came on the program here to talk a little, little sanity because, you know, at the end of the day, people can get upset and they can get political all they want. They just gave out trillions and trillions of dollars to the same group of people that have gotten money over the last 20 years. Okay. If you take a look at the people who got money. I guarantee you the majority of those people have government contracts because the banks gave loans to the people with government contracts. So exactly. it is such a kangaroo court that they've got administered. It is a political industrial complex that they have got so well oiled and so well machined up. It, it, to, to somebody like for me that I'm a Libra, I listen, man, I take any topic. And I bat it back and forth until it's vapor. I go back and forth, back and forth. That doesn't mean I agree with it or disagree with it. For me, it's just being aware so I can make a, I can make a sound decision in life. And so when I see this stuff going on, it's just, it's absolutely, it, it, it almost breaks me into a numbness, you know, like, what's the point type of a thing. So I do appreciate you coming on because it's hard for people to understand that there are options out there, actually. And... It's so easy to become numb. It's so easy to get caught in the current. But right now, folks, if you seriously want to survive, you've got to contact somebody like Luke Daniels and figure out what your options are. Because you need to be quick and nimble, and you need to have options right now because the mass majority, and I'm talking like 98% of the people, are sitting around waiting for the government to tell them what to do and waiting for their next check. And that includes a lot of business owners. Now, the select few that are not, the Jerry Jones of the world, the Harold Hams of the world, the Warren Buffetts of the world, what are they doing? They're buying. They're buying big, big projects. That means you should probably do the same. So how's that for a little bit of a motivational speech to end the interview, huh? Ah, it's good. It's great. But it's true, though, isn't it? I mean, if you take a look at really what... What, what the, the, the elite financial leaders are doing right now, Warren Buffett just bought a pipeline. Jerry Jones, he's, I haven't seen Jerry Jones investing in the news in five, 10 years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Jesus, Jerry Jones can't live to be 500 years old. But, but you, yeah, right? He kind of yeah, is, I mean, is the Dick Clark of sports, isn't he? He just yeah, doesn't he, age, Ryan Seacrest. He, <laughs> so. He's forever. But, but, uh, yeah, I, but seriously, ahead. though, the, it seems to me like really, uh, if, if you can strip away the noise, you can really see some great opportunities to invest. And again, that is one of the reasons why we're bringing you on here is to let people know that there are some options out there. I don't know if you need good credit or you need good uh, uh, assets or what, but you know, make sure we end this interview by giving yourself a little bit of a spiel and let people know how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, so we, and, and it's not necessarily whether you have a 700 plus credit score or you have collateral or this or that. That's why I'm saying everything is different. Everybody's different. There's a, we can find an opportunity somewhere and we can work with 
some each individual somewhere and it may not may not be today that the loan is guaranteed but and there's a there's a good chance we can get everything on the right path in order to get you or a company and a goal achieved uh, through our methods. But look us up. We are Corwell Commercial Capital. We are on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can email us at uh, info at corwellcommercialcapital.com or you can email me directly at ldaniels at corwellcommercialcapital.com. Uh, but yeah, definitely come and visit our site uh, and just take a look, uh, look at us, like I said, Facebook and LinkedIn and reach out and we'll uh, let's have a conversation over what we're trying to get done.